0: Welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast with Mike Dukovic, financial advisor and retirement income certified professional with RBC Wealth Management. Join us as we share the tools and insight that can help you take control of your money and your life, because we believe life's greatest returns are realized when you invest beyond your money.
1: Welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast with Mike Dukovic of RBC Wealth Management, I'm Patrice Sikora. This is the first podcast in this series, and I always find it to be fun and informative because in this, we learn about Mike from Mike. So let's start at the beginning. Mike, how did you get into the business?
2: Well, thanks, Patrice. I appreciate it. I'm excited to start this journey with you. You know, it's funny, I I always get asked that question, whether it's from a prospect that just comes into the office for the first time or from clients I've had forever and are just curious. But I think just like just about every Young student uh, leaving high school or, or even leaving college, you really don't know what you want to do. And that was the same for me. I knew that I wanted to get into the financial world, just didn't know which side of it. Coming from Harvard, which is where I did my undergraduate studies, I, I saw a lot of the Wall Street side. I saw a lot of friends and, and colleagues go into investment banking and join up with Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan in that capacity. And so I kind of had a, a feeling and an understanding of what that was like. But ultimately, interestingly enough, I was a baseball player and and had another year of eligibility after graduating from Harvard. And so what I wanted to do at the time was play professional baseball. And so in trying to go after that dream, I came home back to Pittsburgh and I enrolled in Duquesne in the business school. and at the time they still had a Division one baseball program, so I got to play baseball, go to business school and and I also, was working with my uncle, who I have to credit for bringing me into the industry. He's been in the industry for 30 years. And so I was able to kind of work with him, work with his team. And I got to see the personal side of the financial industry. I got to see the the wealth management side, how he would be able to help individuals and help families and, and really make a difference in people's lives. Seeing that side of the financial industry, I, I knew that's where I wanted to be. Now, wait a minute, I, I wait a minute. I, I want,
1: Wait a minute, the Let's go back. Let's go back. Two D1 baseball teams. <laughs> That's two? Right.
2: Yep. One two, wasn't enough for you. That's right. At Harvard, I was a pitcher in a first baseman. I actually blew out my elbow oh. uh, the summer after my freshman year and had to have Tommy John surgery. So I had to sit out my entire sophomore year at Harvard and uh, had that extra year of eligibility left after I graduated. At the time, was was a left-handed pitcher and, and probably had a, a couple of Teams that somewhat interested and and figured I'd give it one last shot. I I played my fourth and final year of college ball with Duquesne and came and went. I I got the most out of my arm that I could and realized professional baseball probably wasn't in the cards for me. So I better figure out how to make a career elsewhere.
1: All right. And then you said that's where your uncle helped you out?
2: Giving credit to him bringing me into the industry, I, I got to see the personal side, I got to see the individual side. And that's when I really realized that's where I wanted to be. I guess, interestingly enough, and people are always surprised to hear this i I guess my undergraduate degree at harvard was not finance it was not business it wasn't because i didn't want to do that harvard Mm -hmm. actually didn't offer that as an undergraduate program where i settled was psychology and the reason i had a couple of psychology classes in high school and they really were very interesting i enjoyed them quite a bit but ultimately I, i realized that at some point in my career that i'd be working with people why not master something or study something that can help you with those various relationships? And so I, I studied psychology at Harvard. I tried to concentrate and I kind of specialized with, with regards to organizational psychology and social psychology, trying to figure out why people made the decisions that they make on their fears and their anxiety and, and ultimately try to figure out their goals and their hopes and their dreams. Ultimately, Patrice, that psychology background is something that I use in every single meeting. That to me was the most (laughs) rewarding path that I ever could have taken. And it was ultimately by default just because Harvard didn't offer a business or a finance undergraduate program.
1: It makes absolute sense, though. Those are skills that you definitely need. Using those, who do you work with most? Who do you like to work with?
2: Fast forward into my own financial wealth management career, I have kind of developed two different niches. I guess they call them two different circles of groups that I kind of specialize in. First one would certainly be young professionals, that 35 to 50 ish young adult, usually mm-hmm. white collar type of professional. Young families are involved as well, and I, I really developed this niche because that's very similar to you know my wife and I, our careers, our lifestyles, and so I ultimately am very intimately aware.
1: Mm -hmm. of the
2: problems, of (laughs) the the goals, of the needs that these people have. Inherently, when I look at my practice, I have the vast majority of my clients fall into that category. The other category would be just retirees. At one point in my career and working with my uncle early on, I realized that there are obviously a lot of baby boomers. What I realized early on is that I needed to specialize in, in that category. And so I got my RICP, my Retirement income certified professional designation and that is where i really honed in my skills basically specialized on the retirement income side of wealth management historically most financial planners focus on the the accumulation side of the financial plan their goal is to take a client's money invest it and accumulate and grow it but in retirement it's completely different at that point you're now in spend down phase the spend down part of your retirement the strategies and the tools and the approach is completely different. What the RICP does, and, and the reason why I, I took it, is that it, it helps an advisor kind of specialize mm-hmm. in, in the retirement income strategies. And it helps an advisor mitigate the major risks that clients face in retirement that they might not face when they're growing their wealth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who is your ideal client? My ideal client are, are, are the clients that really value the plan. I'm not necessarily interested in working with someone who knows everything about the financial world already and is just using me as a broker. I want someone who really understands that they can't do it alone. I want someone that values the insight and the process and the advice that I'm giving them. When someone calls me a broker, I I tend to kind of shudder a little bit because I see myself and my my services and the value that I provide to be a lot more valuable than that. Okay, and, and that value you provide. What do you do for your clients? When I'm looking to work with a client, what I do and, and what I practice is considered comprehensive wealth management. And in its simplest sense and in, in its purest definition, what that is, is I address every aspect of a client's financial well being. I really, my goal, I tell a client this and a prospect, my goal is I want to be a one stop shop. I want to be that one phone number that they need to remember. When it comes to anything financially related, what I do is I try to address every aspect of their financial life. There's six main pillars, and there are a lot of different kind of subsets to all of those. But the six pillars that I typically will think about are are cash flow and debt management investments. And that can be a wide range of things, whether that's just your typical brokerage accounts or, or retirement accounts or 529 plans. Then you get into retirement income, which, again, that's kind of where my RICP specialty comes into play. But then the the other three pillars that aren't addressed all that often are are insurance what happens if something bad happens to you right and that could be life insurance long-term care insurance disability you name it i will help with that and then you get into estate services and, and obviously tax aware investment strategies how can we help mitigate a client's tax burden if we can
1: where do you get your new clients
2: so at this stage in my career it's basically all through referrals. And it's usually referrals from existing clients or friends or family that kind of hear about what I do and the value that I provide, you know, direct from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And really nothing more rewarding than getting a referral from an existing client, because it really shows that you're making an impact on that client's life. And so referrals by far are the the number one way I acquire new clients. And when those referrals come in, I I really try and I, I feel like I have a different approach with regards to those referrals. My goal when I meet someone for the first time is, is not necessarily to try and onboard that client right away. I, I don't really want to close the deal, so to speak. My goal is to let them know what I do, hopefully show them a little bit of insight as to the value that I provide and how I'm helping my clients. And that's really it. My goal is to introduce myself and my practice and the value that I provide so that down the line when a situation arises for that prospect and they need help, that I'm top of mind. I always tell a client or a Mm -hmm. prospect, I don't want to work with you tomorrow. I just want to be top of mind because I know that at some point you're going to need help. I just want you to think of me first when that situation does come up. You mentioned
1: onboarding. What kind of onboarding process do you have?
2: Typical onboarding process is is usually a a multi-meeting or multi-conversation type of of situation. The first one is, like many advisors or many brokers, it's an interview, information gathering type of discussion. What I tell people is this is a two-way interview. Just like I'm trying to figure out everything I can possibly figure out about you and your goals and your concerns and time horizon and risk tolerance and all that good stuff and figure out what makes you tick, you're also interviewing me and obviously trying to figure out if if we can work Mm -hmm. together and if it's going to work. And so it's definitely a two-way interview. Once I have a really solid understanding of the situation and what you're trying to do, I usually have a pretty strong sense as far as whether or not I can help, whether or not I can provide some value. And in some cases you can't, in some cases you're doing a great job. You don't really even need me. And I'll, I'll tell a client that or a prospect that, that, Hey, just stick to what you're doing and call me in a couple of years, because right now you're, you're set. But in most cases, I have that conversation and I realize, okay, if I did this, this, and this, this client's going to be in a much better situation down the line and long-term. And so I'll I'll let that prospect know that. And then from there, that's when we start creating plans, executing the plans, and then ultimately kind of beginning that wealth management process where we rework the plan and just kind of continue in that ongoing circle of life, so to speak, with regards to the planning process. What kind of a style do you have? Do you have a style? That's a great question. I guess if I had to say that I had a style, and again, this I would credit my uncle for this as well, but it's a very educational type of approach. When I meet with a client and a prospect, my goal is to make sure that they are comfortable first and foremost, because let's be honest, we're dealing with some pretty complicated stuff. And if you're not in this world, if you're not living and breathing it every single day, like I am, then it can be pretty intimidating. It could be pretty confusing at times and even even scary one of the things that I always try to do is I try to educate my clients sometimes I over educate them but I, I feel that if, if a client truly understands not only what we're doing and what we're using but why we're doing it and the process and the approach and if, if I can educate and make a client feel comfortable well that's just certainly that, that builds trust it builds better understanding and ultimately it builds what is what is my goal it, it builds long-term relationships with that client right and and, and again my goal, when I'm dealing with clients and prospects, it's not, to, it's not to just cram something down their throats. It's not to just force them into a particular product just because I know it makes sense. My goal is to make sure they're comfortable with it.
1: In this day right now, things are, are strange. Uh, we're dealing with, with lockdowns. We're dealing with wearing masks and gloves and social distancing. Communication. Communication is critical to so many things how do you communicate with your clients? How often do you do it? Are you doing it more now?
2: I, well, I'm certainly busy now, as, as just about every financial advisor is. But, but honestly, you know my process and my communication commitment to my clients has not changed. And this is something that I address with that prospect in, in meeting number one. If we're going to work together. I want you to understand how this is going to look, how this is going to work. And I literally call it my communication commitment. What that means is basically, it's pretty straightforward. I'm going to meet with you at least once a year face-to-face. And many times that's in the office, across from the board table. Sometimes that's via WebEx, if clients are out of state or even out of country. Bottom line is I want to sit down and really have a full, focused meeting so that I can really understand what's going on on your side of the table. I used to call these meetings reviews. A lot of advisors still call them reviews. But several years ago, I was talking with a consultant and a coach and they, they made a great point and they said, well, listen, when, when you have a review, that implies that you're looking backwards. And it certainly does. It implies that you're looking mm. at what you did. True. And so I realized and I bought into that 100% immediately. I'm not interested. I can't change what happened in the past. We're going to look at it and kind of just assess it because it gives us a good starting point for future conversations. But when I'm having these annual meetings, I call them stim, S-T-I-M. And that stands for strategy and tactical implementation meetings. Kind of a fancy term, but ultimately what that means is we're going to look to see what we did, but we're going to focus the energy and focus the core conversations on what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have that STEM meeting once a year, at least with a client. Sometimes it's more often if the client really wants it, but once a year is usually sufficient. But between that calls, emails. I have weekly newsletters that I email out to a lot of people. These podcasts are now going to be a core part of my practice and how I communicate. I do a lot of WebEx and conference calls and seminars when it's appropriate, but I am constantly in front of my clients. And sometimes I feel like it might be a little bit too much, but my goal, for instance, with the newsletters and the email blast is is not necessarily just to flood your inbox. And I hope that I'm not, right? But (laughs) my goal is that I am always in front of you for that chance or that opportunity. When you have a question, you know exactly where you need to go. If you have a question that pops up and you know that, well, Mike just sent his email out, well, you can very easily reply to that. So I constantly am getting replies to my email newsletters that have nothing to do with that email newsletter. It's just, hey, I saw this. I was thinking about this batter over here. Can you help me with that? Again, my communication commitment is that we're going to meet, we're going to chat many times throughout the year. I always tell a client, if, if you call me or if you call the office and I'm in a meeting or on a conversation elsewhere and I can't get to you right then and there, leave a message and I will get back to you within 24 hours. That's my commitment. I think that's very important in today's day and age, especially with the world changing so quickly. If you it's have true. a question or a concern or a need, you got to be able to get in touch with your guy, yeah. so to speak. And, and so that's my commitment to my clients. I will get back to you.
1: You mentioned you have a goals-based philosophy. Tell me a little bit more about that.
2: My philosophy with planning is pretty basic. You want to get to a certain point. You want to retire, or you want to be able to pay for your child's college, or you want to buy a boat or or do something with your money. Rather than just have a growth-based model where you just give me your money, my philosophy is let's figure out what your goals are. Let's figure out what you want your money to do and when you want that to happen. What we'll do is we'll put your goals out on a piece of paper and we'll say, okay, well, you want college to happen at this point. You want retirement to happen somewhere around here. would love to buy that yacht somewhere around here or that boat or, or RV. And so we'll lay out those goals. And I guess to take that one step further, a lot of people kind of ask me, Mike, are you constantly trying to beat the market with regards to your financial philosophy? And I honestly, I'll look someone in the eye and say, absolutely not. Very few people can constantly beat the market. My goal mm-hmm when I'm dealing with the investment side of the planning or of the, of the management is to win more by losing less. If I can keep up with the market, I don't necessarily have to beat it. However, when the market's getting volatile and it's getting choppy and, and it's doing things that you don't like and it make you uncomfortable, well, if I can lose less during those periods of times, I have a, a shallower hole that I have to dig out of when the market rebounds. And I feel if I can I can win more by losing less long-term. I do believe in modern portfolio theory and diversification, and that all works. But ultimately, win more by losing less.
1: All right, let's move away from work. I want to know about your personal life. When you are okay. not working, what do you do for fun?
2: Well, I have uh, a family, a growing family. We have you know, three young children. My wife, Chelsea, and I, we have three young kids to keep us busy, Mackenzie, Olivia, and Bowdoin, all under the age of four. And so that uh, that takes up <laughs> the crux of our time. But as far as hobbies, we my wife and I love to we're foodies. We love to cook, we love to try out the local restaurants. Here in Pittsburgh, there's a booming restaurant scene that's really, you know, come to life over the last couple of years. Nice. We have a lot of friends who are restaurateurs and restaurant owners, and that's definitely one of our our passions. Beyond that, we love to travel when we can and when we have babysitters. <laughs> we have a a boat here in Pittsburgh that we cruise the the rivers on and we we both like to golf. And I enjoy the outdoors quite a bit as well. We do have our hobbies. Mm -hmm. Um, outside of work and family.
1: Do you have an idea of success? Can you tell me what success would be for you and just a phrase?
2: You know, a lot of people have various definitions of success and and you can certainly put monetary targets, I guess, there. For most people, that's probably something or or achievements with careers. But for me, success, I kind of define it differently. I, I define success as just simply peace of mind. If I have the career and the family goals and the money and and everything kind of where I want it, that's great, but that's giving me peace of mind. And for me, that's when you're successful. When you don't have to have the worries and the stress about achieving these things, and you've achieved that peace of mind, you you now enjoy that freedom where you can enjoy life and and you can then concentrate on helping others. And, And for me, that's success. When you have that peace of mind and you can enjoy life and help others.
1: Along with that, what else do you recommend to clients and family?
2: I get asked this quite a bit, whether it's at a party or, or a neighborhood function or something like that. What are, what are your best tips? What are your best tricks or, or ideas? And you know, it's funny that you always ask that financial advisor, what's that best stock tip? And, and I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't do that. Admittedly, I'm not a great stock picker. It takes a lot to do that. But for me, there are different things and there are different ideas and strategies and, and things that hopefully I can help with. The first thing I usually tell a person that asks me, what do you recommend most is, is don't try to time the market. Don't try and trade. There's a difference between long-term investments and what I call the day trading, or, or I sometimes lovingly refer to it as casino money. When you're trying to buy and sell mm-hmm. and buy and sell and make profits quickly, it usually doesn't work out all that well. If you're looking at investing long term and you develop a diversified strategy and you rebalance and and do the right things over time that's really how you can accumulate some wealth i always try to enforce to my clients and my prospects and my friends and family don't try to time the market definitely one thing i always try to tell people be prepared and be ready to adapt to changes in the market because that's really honestly that's the one constant that's the one thing that you can be sure of is that the market it goes up and it goes down and it's never going to go in one direction forever. So if you're aware of that and you plan for that and you prepare for that, then that just makes the whole process and the whole ride a lot more enjoyable. Be ready and be re- able to adapt to change. And, and and then I guess if I if I can throw one more in there, this is one of my favorites. I always tell someone that asks me, you know, what's a, what's a good trick or what's a good mantra? Or, you know, what's a good rule of thumb? And, and I always say, beware of the brother-in-law. Right? <laughs> and, and we can... <laughs> We can do a whole show on this and we probably will at some point. <laughs> we will, yes. What I mean by that is everyone has that person in their life. It could be a brother-in-law, it could be the neighbor or the colleague at work or the barber or the mailman who, who always is constantly feeding you advice, whether it's financial or health or just worldly advice. What I've learned in the years of being in the financial services industry is that brother-in-law is typically misleading you a little bit they may not completely understand what they're doing or what they're buying or why they're buying it or investing in something they certainly don't know your situation and haven't done the due diligence to figure out what your goals and needs and and risk tolerances are but i always try to tell people before you take the advice of a of an unlicensed kind of non-professional be aware of that you can be polite and listen and kind of nod your head but i certainly wouldn't execute anything based off of the advice of the brother-in-law, so to speak.
1: I love it. I love that. And we're definitely doing a show on that. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Now, we're wrapping this up. We're getting close to our our time limit here. But why should people listen to your podcast?
2: The reason why I'm doing this, Patrice, is I feel that at a certain point, you can't do this alone, and that's that's why I love what I do is that people realize at certain points in their career, and it's not necessarily at the beginning or in the middle or at the, at the peak of their career, but at certain point, you're going to realize you can't do this alone. You have your career. You have your family. You have your day job and your, your hobbies. Your finances and your, and your wealth program needs to be handled and managed by somebody else who can help you maintain a long-term investment approach. It's important you know that you know the strengths and weaknesses that you have and that's again why you hire a professional that can help you address mm-hmm. some of those critical elements you know one of the nice things one of the areas of where i found that i provide and, and give clients a sense of comfort is that i work with dozens of individuals and families that have the same concerns and issues that you do in most cases this is not something that i've never seen before right right this is something i see on a daily basis and so i inherently know how to fix it or how to help you achieve those goals. That's why I think people should listen. That's why I'm doing this just to help give a little bit of tidbit here and there so that hopefully it helps with your day-to-day. And again, to be top of mind, if you have a question, that's that's ultimate goal of mine as well.
1: All right. Somebody has that question. How do they get in touch with you?
2: Just like everyone else, I have a phone number, an email, and a website. The phone number, if you want to call directly, this is my direct office line. It's 724 933 4446. If I don't answer, one of my CAs, probably Sandy, who is my uh, client associate extraordinaire, she'll, she'll probably help you get in touch with me and I will get back to you. You can also email me at michael.dukovich at rbc.com. And dukovich is D-U-K-O-V-I-C-H. Or you can simply go to my website, which is michaeldukovich.com. A lot of good information there as well. And you got any ideas for uh, upcoming shows? What are we going to be talking about? Along with the brother-in-law, that is. Of course, The Brother-in-Law is going to be a fun show, I'm sure. My goal is to hit on a, a lot of different topics, a lot of broad ranges of topics. So we're going to certainly talk about my investment approach and my investment selection and process. It's all process-driven, of course. Probably do a show on some of the biggest questions that I get asked, how advisors get paid, how do you how do you watch my account, that sort of thing. We'll do a show there. Volatility is certainly something that people are always concerned about. So we'll, we'll certainly talk about volatility at times. And and down the line, I also want to bring in special guests. So we're going to address estate planning issues with various estate attorneys. We're going to talk to accountants here and there. We'll probably talk to some some other folks that can help kind of, again, beyond your money. So whether it's travel agents or nutritionists or life coaches, we're going to try and add a little bit of extra flair to the to the program just to help not only with your financial world, but your life in general. That's my goal, is to really help beyond your money.
1: Great insight, Mike. Great. Thank you so much. Mike Dukovic of RBC Wealth Management. To subscribe to Mike's Beyond Your Money podcast, tap the subscribe button right on this page. And to share, use the share button. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later.
0: Thank you for listening to the Beyond Your Money podcast with financial advisor Mike Dukovic make sure you click the subscribe button now so you will be notified when new podcasts are released. If you want to know more about working with Mike, please call 724-933-4446 or visit michaeldukovich.com. It's your money. It's your life. Take control. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RBC Wealth Management. All opinions and estimates constitute the speaker's judgment as of the date of this recording and are subject to change without notice and are provided in good faith but without legal responsibility. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial services provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. RBC Wealth Management does not provide tax or legal advice. All decisions regarding the tax or legal implications of your investment should be made in connection with your independent tax or legal advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Is not possible to invest directly in an index. Investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate, and are subject to investment risks, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management is a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, and SIPC. We generally monitor your advisory count for you as part of our advisory services in accordance with the terms of your advisory agreement with us. Our financial planning services are limited to preparation of a financial plan based on the information that you provide and do not include ongoing monitoring. We do not provide ongoing monitoring of your brokerage account investments for you.